Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Alright, good day Tokers and Tokets and non-toking Lovers of Liberty, it is Thursday March 24th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Thanks for joining us for another live episode from Cannabis Radio Headquarters here in Scottsdale, Arizona, where it is clear and sunny and warm. And my condolences to all of you still battling snow out there on the East Coast and the North, but gosh, it sure is nice here in Arizona. Ask me again in July or August, though. Uh, I might not be as sanguine on the weather here. We've got a great show coming up for you today. All sorts of uh, different areas to talk about. We've got sports. We've got criminal justice. We've got medical marijuana. It's all coming up on today's show. Joining us for our regular Cops Say Legalized Drugs segment, we have got retired Lieutenant Tony Ryan from the Denver Police Department. He's been stabbed. He's been beaten. He's been shot. But uh, he served us all well as a police officer. And now he's here to serve us again by calling for an end to the war on drugs. So we'll talk to Tony at half past. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Always good to hear from our law enforcement personnel who've recognized the futility and the cruelty of our war on certain American citizens using non-pharmaceutical, non-alcoholic, tobacco-free drugs. Also coming up on the show today, we will have time for a radical rant where a Facebook post today Brought up a story from four years ago, actually, but it reminded me of a topic we need to talk about, and that is, I smell pot. That's right, just those three little words, I smell pot, and how they can have devastated consequences for cannabis consumers in the face of law enforcement. It's a story from Michigan that was a terrible, sad story. When it happened, it's still just as sad today. And stories just like it are going on all around the nation. So we'll talk about that today in the Radical Rant toward the end of the show. Also coming up on the show today, we'll get into the drug war data mines and take a look at the state of Ohio, where they've got numerous competing options for marijuana reform going on there. They've run into a lot of hurdles, a lot of roadblocks at the attorney general's office. We'll give you a rundown of what's still viable in the state of Ohio as they look to put some sort of reform on the ballot in 2016. Drug war data mine comes right after our behind the headlines segment. And today we're taking a look at claims by athletes that marijuana use may actually boost your workout, may actually enhance your athletic performance. We'll take a look at the pros and cons of that in our Behind the Headlines segment. That, of course, comes right after the Cannabis Radio News. In the headlines today, we've got great news from the government of Canada with respect to medical marijuana grow rights. We've got a look at the U.S. federal government and four Western senators who are calling for legalized recreational marijuana to be given the right to banking. We'll talk about that. Also, two stories coming out of Washington State where their liquor control, liquor and cannabis board, excuse me, they changed the name of it. The Liquor and Cannabis Board has uh, issued some new rules regarding investing as well as recalls of contaminated pot products. And also we'll take a look at the state of Alaska where their capital city, Juneau, is looking at approving some new cannabis 
cannabis regulations. That's all in hour one, and then stay tuned for hour two, Toker Talk Radio. We'll take your calls at 971-533-7111. We're going to talk about my friend Chris Goldstein. We're going to talk about which states are most curious about cannabis. We've got more on that Nixon drug war, terrible racism comment that uh, has gotten so much news. We're going to play some actual highlights from the Nixon tapes and plenty more. Coming up on the Russ Bellville Show. Stay tuned. We're right back after we pay a few bills. Back in two minutes. This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1 855 MMJ Laws for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email firedupplawyer at gmail.com. You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, March 24, 2016. The Canadian government will not appeal a federal court ruling that found the current medical marijuana system unconstitutional and instead will rewrite its rules by the end of summer to make cannabis more affordable and accessible to patients. Health Minister Jane Philpott told reporters outside Parliament Thursday, the deadline for appealing last month's landmark ruling, that the government now has until August 24th to improve the mail order system in which about two dozen commercial growers supply roughly 40,000 sick Canadians. The federal court case was launched by four British Columbia patients who challenged the constitutionality of the former conservative government's 2014 overhaul of the medical marijuana system. The updated regulations prohibited home grow ops and established a large network of large commercial growers that ship their products directly to customers. Ms. Philpott said she would not elaborate on whether these 
changes are would allow for storefront medical marijuana sales or enshrine a patient's right to grow their own marijuana. Four senators from three states that have legalized recreational marijuana pressed federal financial regulators Thursday to issue clear guidance for financial institutions serving legal marijuana businesses, making it easier for them to access banking services rather than operating on an all-cash basis. In a letter to the six top federal financial regulators, Senators Jeff Merkley and Ron Wyden from Oregon, Michael Bennett from Colorado, and Patty Murray from Washington asked multiple agencies to work together to issue joint guidance to financial institutions from regulators across the federal government. Currently, many legal marijuana businesses in Oregon, Washington, and Colorado, and other states that have legalized recreational or medicinal marijuana are forced to run their businesses using cash because banks won't serve them, fearing reprisal from the federal government. Without the ability to open a bank account or accept non-cash forms of payment, the businesses must pay taxes in cash and keep large amounts of cash on the premises, the lawmakers said. The Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board this week introduced a rule that will allow investors from across the United States to help finance the state's exploding legal marijuana industry. Oregon approved a similar practice last month, and Colorado is expected to follow suit, eliminating its two-year residency requirement for financiers. Though the change comes with risks of big marijuana or criminal cartels entering the markets, the states are moving quickly to attract more investors in expectation that California, with a potentially vast recreational pot market, might enter the competition if voters legalize recreational marijuana sales there this fall. Liquor and Cannabis Board spokesman Brian Smith says the new Washington rule will take effect in June, eliminating a six-month residency requirement for out-of-state investors. Financiers will still not be allowed to have an ownership stake in the businesses they back, But a bill before the legislature, if approved, would permit non-residents to own as much as 49% of a marijuana operation. The Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board also adopted an emergency rule Wednesday allowing it to recall legal pot products considered a public health risk. Washington regulators have not had a recall process in place, unlike Colorado, where recalls have been frequent. The city of Denver pulled 19 pot products from the market in a recent 19-week stretch. The new rule takes immediate effect, but it may be revised after public feedback. It gives the Liquor Control Board authority to recall products that have been deemed to be a risk and establishes procedures for a recall. Risk is not defined by the rule. Factors that may contribute to a recall include evidence that unapproved pesticides were used on or present on pot plants. Juneau, Alaska officials have approved the city's first conditional use permit for a marijuana business, despite calls for them to wait until the Juneau Assembly decides on an outstanding marijuana ordinance. The Planning Commission approved the permit on Tuesday for June Hall and Paul Dizier to start running Fireweed Factory on their property. The Juneau Empire reported that the grow operation will be in a building no longer than no larger than a two-car garage and will be located behind trees and an existing shed. Holland is dear will use a closed-loop system, which means all the water and air used to grow the marijuana will be recycled. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, March 24th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The State of Cannabis. 
oh my god, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of, of many of those things, and, and find ourselves in, in a, a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and Boise State University's 2400 baud modem bulletin board system from 1985. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. Cannabisradio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, I want to talk about the use of marijuana by athletes and just people who enjoy working out. There's a great story up on U.S. News and World Report in their wellness section. It's entitled, Can Pot Boost Your Workout? Let me answer the question. Yes, sure. Absolutely. The story talks about a young man named Tommy, who's 27 years old and teaches in Denver. And uh, he talks about how 10 years ago, when he was uh, growing up in Minnesota, he took a look at all his high school's best athletes and found one common thread amongst all of them. And that was they all smoked pot. Tommy says, quote, Everyone who had school records and state records had been a user, end quote. According to the story, Tommy tried it after or before his next track meet, and when he did, he broke the school record. Soon after, Tommy used marijuana as he, uh, as he played uh, soccer, basketball, baseball, and football, doing quite well in all the sports, and he credits the weed. He says, quote, I thought it was what gave me the ability to do so and the ability to do better. It allows him to think ahead of the game. And he says when he runs long distances, he feels like he can run forever. 
Now, this has been something that's been talked about. You know, we look at the different sports leagues and they all test for marijuana at one level or another, except for the National Hockey League. But uh, they all test for these drugs. And generally, the reason that's been given to test for marijuana metabolites with these athletes is the fact that it's an illegal drug. It's it's kind of a morality sort of clause. And it's been considered a drug of abuse. So with a lot of these sports, they are banning marijuana use, particularly for moral reasons. That becomes less tenable as we start talking about the athletes in Colorado, Oregon, Washington, and Alaska, where pot use is just as legal as using beer. But nobody's testing those athletes for alcohol. But now, as we start looking at some of these reports about athletes gaining a benefit from the use of cannabis, could we end up in a situation where marijuana is tested not as a drug of abuse, but as a performance-enhancing substance like steroids or HGH or amphetamines or anything like that? Could we end up in a situation where cannabis is banned because it enhances the performance of the athletes? Well, more researchers are starting to take a look at this. There's even a, a group called the 420 Games uh, that puts together athletic events specifically for tokers. And what they're finding here is some evidence that indeed marijuana use is helping some of these athletes. In the case of endurance athletes, those that are running long distances, for example, they find that marijuana has the psychological effect of taking one's mind off the exhaustion and the 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 dull, boring routine of, say, running a marathon. For other athletes that are involved in mixed martial arts, of course, we could look at the Diaz brothers in the UFC who have long been supporters of cannabis use or Toby Tigerhart Greer and many others where the use of cannabis may be a way to recover from a long workout, to recover from a grueling fight in its painkiller uh in, in the fact that it is a painkiller and that it's an in anti-inflammatory to help these people recover from their hard work and, and their workouts. Now, Nicholas Edwards, he's an exercise physiologist at UC uh, School of Medicine, University of Colorado, has worked with hundreds of athletes like Tommy who say pot helps their exercise. And he says, quote, what's interesting about it is on a certain level, they're kind of right. If cannabis didn't have at least the potential to help athletes, the World Anti-Doping Agency probably wouldn't prohibit it in competition. And skiers and triathletes say that it blunts the pain of the endurance. Uh, one says, quote, you can just kind of go because your mind mellows out to a place where you don't experience the exertion you're doing. In a way, that's seen like a benefit because they can just run. And uh, people have been testing this and found that, indeed, that might be helpful. Uh, one who is a power lifter talks about how he could do big, heavy squat presses and not get as sore. Ricky Williams, of course, spoke out about using cannabis to aid his recovery. And emerging evidence suggests that marijuana does reduce the pain, muscle spasms, stiffness, and inflammation that can come from intense workout. On the other hand, some uh, researchers are worried about this because they worry that the use of cannabis may distract athletes from the signals their bodies are giving them when they've overexerted themselves. Uh, this has been uh, 
This has been put out there by researchers at the National Institutes of Drug Abuse. And you have to understand that NIDA always does its research with the idea of finding out what's wrong with marijuana. But uh, he claims that uh, athletes who claim to regularly use marijuana before working out are 40% more likely to injure themselves during exercise. Feeling high could prevent athletes from stopping and refueling when they've hit a wall. As a result, their bodies may begin burning muscle instead of fat for fuel. Rabba-dabba-goo! So we'll keep you posted on the emerging science on this, but uh, I would, if I had to make a recommendation, I'd say limit your cannabis use to moderate amounts before a workout or after a workout. Using it during a competition might not be wise because of the change to your hand-eye coordination and depth and time perception. Otherwise, smoke them if you got them. Happy 420, Denver. We'll be right back in two minutes. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, more flavor. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the data mines, we go back to the state of Ohio, where last year the voters there rejected by a two to one margin the responsible Ohio issue three that would have legalized marijuana. That's right. They rejected legal marijuana. They rejected a plan where any adult 21 and over could possess up to an ounce of marijuana in public. They rejected a plan where the purchase of a $50 license would have allowed persons, excuse me, 
and patience to grow four flowering cannabis plants in their home and to possess up to a half pound of marijuana in their home. And they rejected the possibility of 1,159 dispensaries where people could shop for marijuana statewide. Of course, this all got rejected by a two-to-one margin because of the monopoly, the business plan for issue three, which deemed that there would only be 10 farms where marijuana could be grown, and those farms would be owned by the 10 investor groups who ponied up the money to get the initiative on the ballot. And rather than let Nick Lachey and Frosty Rucker and a few of these investors get rich, the people of Ohio decided Nope, we'd like to stick with our prohibition, thank you. We'd like to keep ticketing people for possession and throwing them in prison for growing. Well, now, 2016, there are efforts to reform marijuana laws as the people who rejected Issue 3 told me that there would be something coming along in 2016, so there was no need to accept the 2015 proposal. They'll get something better in 2016. So it's up to you to decide whether what I'm about to read to you is better than what was proposed in 2015, where everybody would have been free from persecution for marijuana and everybody would have been able to grow plants and everybody would have been able to possess up to uh, eight ounces if they got their license. You decide whether these proposals are better. First of all, we have the proposal from... Ohioans for Medical Marijuana, that's the Marijuana Policy Project that they are uh, putting together, a medical use of marijuana amendment. According to the polls uh, that came out after Issue 3 failed, they found that about 8 out of 10 Ohioans favor medical marijuana. So it would seem to be a slam dunk if they can get medical marijuana on the ballot. Now, Marijuana Policy Project's medical use of marijuana amendment is a plan to allow adults 21 and older to buy and use marijuana if a physician recommends marijuana for a qualifying medical condition. Patients under 18 can use marijuana with written permission from a parent or guardian. Patients would apply for ID cards. They'd be allowed to buy and possess two and a half ounces of marijuana. They could grow up to six plants or designate a caregiver to grow for them. The state would issue licenses to cultivators, distributors, testers, and dispensaries. Those licenses would cost $5,000 each. There would also be 15 large-scale growing licenses available for a half million dollars. There would be sales tax uh, that would apply to marijuana sold in dispensaries, and the tax revenues would go to the general fund. 15% of the tax revenue would go to the State Marijuana Control Commission, and the remaining 85% would be distributed to counties and local communities. So you could add legalization where people could possess an ounce, grow four plants, possess a half pound, and have 1,100 places to shop. Instead, you might get medical marijuana where a few very special patients can get a card that will probably cost more than 50 bucks, and they'll have to pay taxes on their marijuana, and there will be far fewer than 1,100 shops to shop at it, and you can only have two and a half ounces. But there are other attempts out there as well. Right now, the... um, The Marijuana Policy Project Amendment has been rejected by the Attorney General, and they've resubmitted their language, so they're still kind of in a holding pattern. There's another group called Grassroots Ohio, which is proposing the Medical Cannabis and Industrial Hemp Amendment. They plan for adults 18 and older to be able to grow marijuana for medicinal purposes, to allow industrial hemp, to allow the state to tax and regulate commercial products. There would be no use of metabolites in blood or urine to be able to determine if a driver is impaired. 
and medical cannabis would be removed from Schedule 1. But this proposal contains within it absolutely no regulations, no limits, nothing that's particularly uh, uh, codified because they're going to propose another amendment to act or another initiative, I should say, to actually set up what the regulations are. So in this circumstance, they would have to get two different initiatives passed and those two initiatives would both have to pass the issue to muster. That was the other thing that was passed in 2015 that says if a initiative tries to create some sort of monopoly or special benefit, it has to get two votes as well. Since this initiative from the uh, Grassroots Ohio people has both industrial hemp and medical cannabis, it's possible that both of their initiatives might both have to go through two votes. So there might be four votes necessary for that one to get passed. Their petition has been rejected by the Ohio Attorney General as well. There's another group, Ohio Medical Cannabis Care, aiming for a 21-year-old patient ID card, 24 seedlings, and up to 240 grams of marijuana during one 30-day period. Something about nine ounces there. Those under 18 could use it with supervision of parent or guardian. There would be a recommendation list and an Ohio Medical Cannabis Commission. This group's ballot initiative has been rejected four times already. And finally, the Ohio General Assembly, the legislature, may try to pass their own medical marijuana bill, House Bill 33. This is one of those CBD-only bills with very low THC that would be available just for a very few patients, mostly kids with epilepsy. Those are the four opportunities that are available in Ohio for 2016. None of them have even made the ballot yet. But at least Nick Lachey can't get rich on any of them. Stay tuned. We're back with Cops Say Legalized Drugs and retired Lieutenant Tony Ryan from the Denver PD right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com. And you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association 
MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association and the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. One of the most disturbing elements of the Prohibition War is how it's made police the enemy of otherwise law-abiding cannabis consumers. Fortunately, one group of police officers knows the futility of Prohibition and reaches out to educate the community and current law enforcement. Today, the Russ Belleville Show visits with another speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition with one clear message. Cops say legalize drugs. Welcome back, everybody. 32 after the hour for our Cops Say Legalized Drug segment. we got a great guest joining us, retired Lieutenant Tony Ryan from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition from Denver, Colorado. How you doing, Tony? Good. How are you this afternoon? I'm fantastic. It's great to have you on the line. And I was looking over your biography here at Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, leap.cc, and man, it looks like... Uh, doing police work really put you through the ringer shot stabbed broken bones uh what was it like working for 36 years in the police department and how did how did that work convince you that the drug war was futile well of course i was i was mostly a street cop except for five years as a traffic investigator which meant i went out and reconstructed fatal accidents but um other than that, um, I worked mostly in Northeast Denver, which is a large minority community for the most part. <clears throat> so it had a little more crime than, uh, you know, some other parts of the city. But, um, you know, all kinds of things go on for the police officers in this country, depending on their jurisdictions, you know. And especially in the larger cities, uh, there's more going on than in smaller cities. So uh, a little bit of everything when you're out there on the street uh, for all those years and uh Fortunately, I was able to supervise and or command officers for for 26 of my 36 years. <clears throat> so I kind of got to get them to do things my way for the most part, which means, you know, we do things straightforward and as upright as possible and uh, try to make friends with uh, the communities we serve because that always helps out. That's one of the big problems, of course, as you well know, which is what you're all about and what we are about at LEAP, is uh, drug law enforcement. It seems to be um, uneven uh, in most populations, more more in the poorer neighborhoods than elsewhere, and <clears throat> and uh, it affects certain groups of people more than other people. Sure. And it, um, so that's one of the inequities that I was always disturbed about before I heard about LEAP, which was after I retired, and I thought, there ought to be somebody doing something, and then I found LEAP, so here we are, you know. Were there any particular incidents in your street cop career, uh, a particular case or suspect, where you just had to smack your head and go, oh, my God, we're ruining this person's life for no good reason? Well, I'm not sure about a specific case, but it soon dawned on me that, uh, you know, <clears throat> we have this prohibition, and if you look at our history at all, you know, prohibition uh, is a borrowed term. It came from, you know, the days of alcohol prohibition which everybody knows was a, just a total disaster and uh, brought out, uh, you know, the mob and all those other people that weren't around until that happened. 
Um, and, and the same thing happened. It created a black market. So it created, um, um, what do you want to say, competition over who gets to sell to make the most money because it's illegal and people still want it, whether it's marijuana or any other, a lot of other illegal substances. And that is the main problem with um, with the idea of prohibition is it just makes the matter worse. You know, you alluded to the racial disparities in the enforcement of drug laws and how this prohibition seems to affect some communities, particularly African-American and Latino communities, uh, harder than white communities. But we just saw some recent data come out that showed in Colorado and Washington that have legalized marijuana that, yes, the arrests went way, way down. But what arrests still exist still exhibit that racial disparity. So is it more than just the war on drugs we're going to have to fix to get policing to be more racially fair? <clears throat> you know, that, that's that's looking for a simple answer, Russ. I'm not sure that there is one. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. For that. Um, <laughs> um, I, I would there's a couple of things there. I think you know people that are wealthy and 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 uh, and the and the, the younger ones of those families um, have uh, more protection. They have more uh, resources for legal assistance should they get arrested, and uh, are able to argue uh, you know their case uh, with high priced lawyers and so forth and so on, uh, or even challenge it. You know some some people in the minority communities don't even have the money to try and challenge it. They just have to go and say. Yeah, you got me. I had a joint or something like that, and then and then and then you know, there's there's so many factors there. It's not. I don't think it's just the enforcement of it. I think it's more readily seen in poorer neighborhoods by police officers than it is in in richer neighborhoods because uh, you don't very seldom see rich people out about carrying that stuff on their person or driving with their cars. They may, but most of them are better drivers. <laughs> <laughs> And poorer people are. That's just a fact of life. And never really. I don't know. I don't know how it relates to money, but it's just a fact of life. Hmm. And, and there's, and, um, of course, the, the situation where uh, folks with means are living in homes they own, whereas poorer people are living in apartments where you can't really toke. So you have to go outside on the stoop or out in the park or in your car, and that's where they're getting caught. Sure. Absolutely. That's that's correct. That's correct. Now, Tony, uh, it's definitely a factor. In in your bio here, it says now that you're retired in here in Arizona and you did your police work in Denver. So here in Arizona, they're working on trying to get marijuana legalized. And of course, this is the land of Sheriff Joe Arpaio and a lot of really tough on crime uh, attitudes here. Uh, are you finding it difficult to convince people in Arizona that they need to follow uh, Colorado's footsteps and legalize marijuana? Well, we're just, I think that's just getting underway. We haven't done much, but uh, I just did a presentation um, in uh, Sun City about a week and a half ago, <clears throat> and it was very well received. And uh, we didn't talk specifically about marijuana, but about drug enforcement in general. And uh, people are beginning to get the idea, you know, there's people like yourself with shows and, on the radio and, and so forth and so on. And LEAP has been around for a while now, over a decade, and spreading the message. And, and uh, MPP has been around I think almost forever, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> people are beginning to find out that you know their marijuana is being used. It definitely has good medical uses for it, not just for recreation. And states, some states have um, legalized it, such as Colorado and Washington. Those are the first two, and um, you know the sky hasn't fallen. 
Yeah, and, and you know the world the world hasn't gone to hell if you want. I'm saying that um, <laughs> no problem. It's, you know, and uh, and the and you know Colorado's thinking about closing down a couple of prisons, not just because of marijuana, but certainly, you know, a lot of people went to prison just because they had a joint in the old days of uh, marijuana. Sure, people on probation or parole, uh, you know, go back to jail oh, yeah. for their original crime if they fail their probation p test. Now, that's for the more harmful in my in my book. Yeah. Now, Tony, when I talk to cops <clears throat> about the legalization of marijuana, a very common theme is cops will say, you know, I've never had to break up a domestic disturbance over pot, but alcohol, sure, alcohol, I've had to deal with a lot of problems. But we can't really take that saying over to cocaine or meth or PCP or any of these other harder drugs because a lot of police officers have had difficult, violent problems with those uh, drug users. Does that make it tougher to push Leap's mission of the legalization of all drugs when marijuana is so benign and the other ones do sometimes have some social problems associated with them? Well... You have to decide. You have to talk about what legalization means. I think to 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 answer that, <clears throat> now, legalization is not just you know do whatever you want. There's there's still regulations that go with anything. You know, I'm, to, I'm trying to name something that isn't regulated anymore. And um, regulation means let's try and exercise some, some control over this, and let's control the market in terms of who gets to sell it, and so forth. If you can, if you regulate something by making it legal then you get rid of the black market effect and the people that are killing for the right to own the territory to sell this stuff for a higher price and probably would be in a regular retail situation. So there's all these factors involved in all of this that make it um, sensible to legalize it. That doesn't, you know, to to a point where, you know, most drugs other than marijuana are uh, available by prescription from a doctor, depending on what your ailment is. You can get almost everything else. Um, um, not not just heroin that you can play with, but, you know, a form of heroin, you know, opiates, you can get by prescription if you need it. So it's not like we're going to deprive anybody of anything. It's just a matter of regulation and control. The key is that we don't over-regulate. Good. When we get started, we start going down that path, so... Very good. Yes. Uh, So the key here is explaining to people that legalization uh, doesn't necessarily mean packs of heroin in the 7-Eleven, right? Right. (laughs) Right. You know, know, it's what what we're trying to do and what Leap's main mission is, is is get rid of the illegal market and all the violence that's associated with it. We're not saying everybody should be able to just go out and use whatever drug they want and get high on everything else. An accurate response, but it's just that, you know, having a policy that just says, we think this is bad and you can't have it, um, period, unless, you know, some prescribed by some doctor or something, uh, just creates more problems than it solves. And I think we were able to make that case quite easily, especially with marijuana, you know, so. Another insidious part of this uh, war on drugs, uh, and and this is starting to come to light for a lot of people, is the use of civil asset forfeiture and some of these grants that police agencies get specifically to go after drugs. Uh, Don't don't you think that those are going to have to be addressed before we can see real reform uh, amongst our police with respect to drugs? Well, if you legalize it in one form or another, then I think you get rid of most of those problems. On the other hand, if you look at it, that's the main reason that many law enforcement agencies, especially if they're a smaller agency, 
don't want to legalize drugs because they get a lot of money from the federal government for drug enforcement activity. The problem is they still can't afford to hire more people, so they divert law enforcement activities to where they can, can uh, you know, maintain whatever it takes to keep their grants for drug enforcement. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we would argue that in many instances it reduces other law enforcement activity, which is probably more valuable to the average citizen. In your time uh, working on the force, did you witness any examples of corruption where, you know, say cops are stealing drugs from the evidence locker for sale or anything like that? <clears throat> well, I know of at least two people during my career, one of them, which I helped in the case uh, that went to prison for trying to make money on the side that way. <clears throat> but there wasn't a whole lot of that in Denver. Denver had its scandal a few years before I joined the force in 1967. It had a burglary scandal. I don't know if you know anything about that or not, but uh, cops were committing burglaries on duty. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so a lot of 60-some uh, officers, in, which was a smaller department in those days, about 700 people, <clears throat> went to prison for that for a number, a number of years. And... Uh, so then they were they were pretty uh, careful about what they did or didn't do, and we rounded up a couple of people that wanted to uh, try and make extra money uh, by selling drugs, <clears throat> and um, so that was basically a no-no, and not very many people. There are some larger departments in the country that have had a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Tony Denver Ryan is a so retired far. lieutenant with the Denver Police Department and a speaker for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. You can find out more at Leap. He's living in the Tucson, Arizona area. If you need a great speaker for your next event to say cops say legalize drugs, go to leap.cc and get him booked now. Tony, thanks for joining us and uh, giving us all your wisdom and experience. We appreciate it. Thanks, Russ. All right. Stay tuned, folks. When we come back, it'll be time for a radical rant. The words, I smell marijuana, next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News, presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. 
Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show, or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first. Must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. I smell marijuana. Those three words in the mind of a cop can be all that it takes to cost you your life. I smell marijuana. This is a story that actually happened four years ago. It's uh, from 2012 uh, out of Michigan, but it surfaced on my Facebook feed today and it just uh, brought to mind just how important it is to legalize marijuana. You know, I, I get a lot of uh, a lot of haterade from people out there for my opinions sometimes uh, for wanting to legalize marijuana no matter what. Right. That I'll take anything, uh, you know, Russ will take any any sort of legalization. He doesn't care. And this story is why even Ohio's attempt to legalize marijuana last year with its terrible business plan that created a oligopoly of 10 growers was preferable to maintaining the status quo of contraband marijuana. And this story is a perfect example. Why? Back in 2012, February 3rd of 2012 there were uh there was a police call on an alleged domestic disturbance in northern michigan and the cops responded uh it was crawford county sheriff deputy john clapaldo clapadlo excuse me clapadlo along with grayling city police department alan samero an officer alan samero uh, the two of these officers, uh, basically, um, Samaro had been to an apartment building to investigate William Reddy is the man's name. Uh, and there was an alleged domestic disturbance. Supposedly, there was some sort of fight going on or domestic disturbance. So Samaro was called to investigate this disturbance. And when he was there investigating the problem, he believed he smelled marijuana. Now, it's important to note that nothing about the domestic disturbance seemed to rise to the occasion of investigation by the police. The police showed up there, but apparently there was nothing to charge uh, William Reddy with as far as a domestic disturbance goes. But Somero believed that he smelled marijuana. So Somero reported that to Child Protective Services in Michigan from the Department of Human Services in Michigan and the CPS employees, they were named Craig Sharp and Stacy Sage got a court ordered, uh, warrant basically to remove the three-year-old son of William Reddy from the situation. 
because the cops smelled marijuana. And Lord knows we can't have a three-year-old somewhere where marijuana might be smelled. So the CPS employees, the two CPS employees got a court order to remove the three-year-old son named Cameron. The two CPS employees asked the cops to go with them to serve the court order. So we've got two CPS employees and the two cops now, uh, Crawford County Sheriff's Deputy John Clapadlo and police officer Alan Samaro. So we got the two cops, got the two CPS officers. They show up to the apartment to take away the three-year-old child. Now, during the attempt to remove the child, officers were confronted by Reddy, William Reddy, who pulled a small foldable pocket knife and lunged at the officers. Now, I know there's a lot of people listening to this story at this point who go, oh, wait now, hold on, Russ. You said he got killed over marijuana, but this guy lunged at cops with a knife. You lunge at cops with a knife. Well, by God, you deserve what you get, right? Wrong. Because here's what happened. When these two cops were there, they had their tasers drawn. They had their tasers out. Both the cops had their tasers out when William Reddy presented himself with a knife and lunged at the cops. So did the cops shoot the tasers that were already in their hands at William Reddy? No. Clopadlo and Somero holstered holstered their weapons and then Clopadlo pulled his pistol and shot Reddy in the chest in front of his three-year-old son in his house and killed him. So I smell marijuana turns into we've got to steal your three-year-old turns into hell. No, you're not with a knife turns into a summary execution of this man. Now, of course, this was reviewed by the Michigan State Police in an investigation, and the Roscommon County Prosecutor, Mark Jernigan, determined that the use of deadly force by Clopadlo was justified. Absolutely justified. Now, the Michigan State Police, uh, Detective Sergeant Rick Seekley from the Michigan State Police, sought a warrant to charge Clopadlo. The cops themselves thought maybe he ought to be charged, but Jernigan denied the warrant. The county prosecutor ignored the cops, the state cops themselves, and said, quote, the deceased was in possession of an edged weapon. The deceased pulled a knife and hit it behind his back. At the point where he pulls his hand forward and lunges at the officer, he is in such close proximity and presents a clear danger of deadly force The officer is left with no option other than to use deadly force to protect himself, the other officer, and the three civilians that were present. The use of deadly force is completely justified, and therefore, the homicide was justified. The guys had their tasers out. It took them longer to holster the taser and pull the gun than to just pull the trigger on the taser. Now, uh... Sheriff Kirk Wakefield, who's the Crawford County Sheriff, said that the officers are not trained to use tasers in a situation that escalates when a weapon is drawn, such as a knife. 
He added that police also do not engage in hand-to-hand combat when weapons come into play. A guy that is proficient with a knife can kill you in a second, Wakefield said. Wakefield, who has been a law enforcement officer since 1979, said he had attended numerous training sessions where knife fighters have given demonstrations, saying, quote, I can tell you that guy can be at one end of the gymnasium and be on you in a heartbeat. If somebody has an edged weapon, why take the chance? Why take the chance? You got two cops in a small apartment holding tasers and one guy with a small folding pocket knife. Folks, I don't think this guy was some sort of Cali Escrima martial arts master who is going to fillet both cops before they could pull the trigger on their tasers. The description given in this case is that the guy was far away with the knife behind his back before he approached. It just seems to me that there was many things that could have been done rather than turning to shooting the man in front of his three-year-old child as the first resort. And this was confirmed to me. I did a little Googling, because you know me, I look shit up. And I did a little Googling on knife attack. Cops repel knife attack. Cops subdue knife attack. And I thought, there got to be some videos out there somewhere of some cops taking down a guy with a knife where they didn't have to kill the guy. Folks, I found a lot of them. I found one where there was a man with a machete out in the street and cops basically surrounded him and were able to subdue him and take him down without even firing a taser. Just just with uh, tackling, they took the guy down. I found another case where a man threatened a couple of cops with a knife, like not a pocket knife, but a real eight inch crocodile dundee. Now that's a knife type of knife. And two cops were able to subdue that guy without firing a shot, without firing a taser, merely by tackling the guy. Now, of course, there is one common thread to all these videos that I found where cops were able to subdue a violent person with a weapon without killing them. And that thread is they were all in the United Kingdom. Yeah, for some reason, the cops in the UK have been able to take down all sorts of violent perps for decades now without killing them. You know that the number of people killed by cops in the United Kingdom over the past 20 years is about the same number as the number of people killed by cops in a week in the United States? Now, I refuse to believe that the cops in the United Kingdom or other countries where this doesn't happen, I refuse to believe that their cops are somehow supermen with special powers that our cops just can't master. No, I think what we found here in the United States is as much as some people in this country like to claim that we're some sort of Christian nation with pro-life ideals, that really, life is cheap here. Life is cheap. Now, I know there'll be plenty of people out there saying, well, if you don't disobey the cop, you just got to do what the cop says and they won't kill you. Is that the kind of place you want to live in? A place where the slightest disagreement with cops can get you killed? I'm not saying that this guy was right to pull the knife and jump at the cop. Of course not. But these cops got to stop being such cowards 
as to think they can't handle one assailant between the two of them when they have non-lethal tasers on them. It's time for our cops to grow up here and to start understanding that they don't just get to kill people willy-nilly because they're afraid of getting hurt. I know it's a tough job, but you chose to do that job, and it's time to stop killing the suspects when you don't have to. That's all the time we got for Hour 1. I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, this tokers. the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can tow. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. How is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonza Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. Time for Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio, where you can toke, you can talk, and you can talk about toke. Our phone lines are open at 971-533-7111. We're also checking out the chat room where John Chambers and James James and a bunch of other folks are hanging out. You can find our chat room through CannabisRadio.com. Just go to the player and click on the little cartoon balloon. That'll get you into our chat room. So I just finished up that rant on the Michigan case uh, from four years ago where the cops shot to death a young father in front of his three-year-old son because the cops smelled marijuana. And because of the smell of marijuana, it was crucial to remove the three-year-old. And the father disagreed, pulled a small pocket knife, lunged at the cops. And rather than use the tasers that they already had drawn... They holstered their tasers, pulled out their firearm, and shot the guy. Killed him dead right in front of his kid. So I didn't time it very well because I wanted to get the kicker into the end of the rant. And here's the kicker. At the uh, 
request of the coroner's department, you know, after the, uh, the young man was shot, they did the toxicology screen on him. No drugs or alcohol found in his system. No trace of marijuana. So that cop who said he smelled marijuana and that was the reason we needed to get that kid out of that apartment because there you got a father who's smoking pot in front of his kid. Guy wasn't even a pot smoker. Guy hadn't been smoking pot in front of his kid at all. So now his kid, who's age seven, had to go to his first day of school without his dad. Will go to his performing his first concert or his first sports event without his dad. Will graduate high school without his dad. Because a cop said, I smell marijuana. Folks, this is why it is so important that we pass marijuana legalization in whatever form makes the ballot, even if it's a shitty Ohio issue three, because only the legalization of marijuana ends the contraband nature of cannabis. Medical doesn't do that. Decrim doesn't do that. CBD only doesn't do that. Only legalization makes it so possession of marijuana is legal. When you're in a decrim state, marijuana is still illegal. You just get a ticket for it. When you're in a medical state, marijuana is still illegal. You're just exempted from criminal prosecution. But the fact that it's still illegal means it's still contraband. And that means the detection of it, the detection of contraband, is still reason for cops to pursue an investigation is still reasonable suspicion for them to start patting you down, asking you questions, and who knows, maybe even shooting you in the chest in front of your three-year-old. That's why legalization, even just an ounce, even with no home grow, is something you ought to support. Because once that ounce is legal, the smell of marijuana is no longer a reasonable suspicion of anything. And folks... I get people that that, that complain, oh, an ounce isn't enough. Oh, it's just not enough. Folks, it doesn't matter if they legalize a gram. Even legalizing a single gram would mean the smell of marijuana is no longer a reasonable suspicion. Because a gram doesn't smell any different than two grams, doesn't smell any different than an ounce, doesn't smell any different than a pound. Smell is smell. If that cop in Michigan had smelled marijuana in a legal state... That wouldn't have been enough for him to go ahead and call CPS. That wouldn't have been enough for CPS to get a warrant from the judge to go get that kid. And by not going to get that kid, there never would have been an incident where that man pulled a knife and ended up getting shot. Stay tuned. We're back in two minutes with more. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. How high do you like your profit margin? Cannabisradio.com. 
With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the new era. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's 8 after the hour, and we are less than 29 hours away from a very important milestone in marijuana activism. And that is the end of federal probation for our good friend, Chris Goldstein. The reason you're listening to me today can all be traced back to Chris Goldstein. Chris Goldstein worked for National Normal, and in 2006, he created... The Normal Daily Audio Stash Podcast. And 2006, folks, we're talking about a time when most people thought podcast was actors in a play about peas, right? (laughs) A podcast. But no, nobody knew what podcasting was back then. Very few people did. But Chris had a vision, and he created the Normal Daily Audio Stash Podcast, a half-hour podcast produced daily by Normal to bring the growing truth about cannabis to a wider market. He created the podcast in 06, had to leave it in 2008, and that's when I took over. I took it over on my 40th birthday, uh, January 31st, 2008, and I've been doing this ever since. So I can't thank Chris Goldstein enough for creating my career. Well, Chris is a heavy-hitting ac- activist, folks. He's he's a guy that puts act in activism. He's been active with New Jersey Normal and Philadelphia Normal, and with his work with Philly Normal... They put together a bunch of protests called Smoke Down Prohibition. And the Smoke Down Prohibition protests, as well as some great uh, data mining done by uh, Derek Rosenzweig of uh, Philly Normal, they've showed how 81% of the people getting busted in Philly were African American, and that helped lead to the push for Philly's groundbreaking decriminalization, which has led to like an 80% drop in uh, marijuana arrests in Philly. In addition to the smoke down prohibition they were doing for Philly, they were also protesting at the Liberty Bell Monument. Now, the Liberty Bell Monument is federal parkland. And so they would get together 
And at 420, they would light up at the Liberty Bell. There's some symbolism for you, right? You know, let's get our liberty back. At first, the Federal Park Police kind of just let it happen, but apparently they got word from somebody that toking at the Liberty Bell was not something they wanted to see in the headlines, so they started busting these guys, giving them tickets for their smoke-out protests at the Liberty Bell, and that culminated in Chris Goldstein's arrest. He actually got arrested for this, had to go to court, had to go to federal court over what he refers to as a skinny-ass joint. And you remember, we're talking about the feds who always say, oh, you know, no, we're, we, don't, we don't care about the individual drug user. We're trying to get the kingpins. We're kind of trying to get the growers, the drug cartels. Yeah, bullshit. You spent tens of thousands of dollars persecuting and prosecuting Chris Goldstein, a cannabis consumer, because you didn't like the content of his free speech. You didn't like him petitioning the government for a redress of grievances with regard to marijuana prohibition. And you sure as hell didn't like the symbolism of him getting busted at the Liberty Bell. So I believe this cost him somewhere around 3000 bucks, and that's not counting you know, attorneys and all the other sort of attendant fees that you got to pay. But it cost him three grand. And cost him two years of freedom. For the past two years, Chris Goldstein has been on federal probation with mandatory urine screening. He's been pee testing for two years now. Hasn't used marijuana for two years. And I know Chris pretty well. And Chris going without marijuana for two years is like asking a Frenchman to go without wine for two years or asking Donald Trump to not say something stupid for two years. (laughs) But he's done it. He's made it through his probation. And this Friday night, Saturday morning, tomorrow at midnight Eastern time, which would be nine o'clock p.m. my time out here in Arizona, his federal probation ends. And so I would like to ask all the listeners of CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belville show to join me in a virtual smoke session to celebrate and to honor an activist who put his money and his freedom where his mouth is Chris Goldstein and join me for what I'm calling hashtag Goldstein Liberty Bowl. We're going to smoke a Chris Goldstein Liberty Bowl and we're going to do it at 9 p.m. Pacific midnight Eastern time tomorrow. I'll be on the herb thrasher flower hour on 420 radio.org. If you want to join us uh, online to do this and what we're asking everyone to do is to take a picture of you smoking a joint, and if you like flipping off the camera to send a message to the federal government that we stand tall with Chris Goldstein and all of our cannabis warriors out there, and to show them just how many of us there are out there. So hashtag Goldstein Liberty Bowl, that's G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N, Goldstein Liberty Bowl, starting at 9 p.m., Tomorrow night, Pacific time, midnight, Eastern time, we're all going to put our pictures out there on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the hashtag to show Chris just how much support he's got out there and how much we appreciate him for his past two years of activism. You can find out more on the Russ Belville Show Facebook page. Go to facebook.com slash rbshow420, and uh, you can find the event page if you'd like to join us. Spread that information around. Let people know. Because we'd really like to uh, make this a a special virtual smoke session for Chris Goldstein. All right, let me get to another story. We've been talking about this all week. But now, CNN, USA Today, all these super mainstream organizations are starting 
to pick up on something we in the drug war reform movement have known for decades. And that is Nixon's war on drugs was started particularly to go after hippies and black people. Now, they called us conspiracy theorists for years about this. But the evidence is out there, and it comes from an interview that was done in 1994 featuring John Ehrlichman, who was one of Nixon's – he was Nixon's domestic policy advisor, and he told Harper's writer Dan Baum about the real reasons behind Nixon's war on drugs. Now, Baum did this interview in 94 – it kind of the quote kind of came to light in 2012, but the most recent article on Harper's Legalize It All, the cover story on Harper's this week, has really blown this out of the water and and gotten the attention that it's finally deserved. CNN reports on this and uh here is the actual quote. The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies the anti-war left, and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. End quote. Now that comment from Ehrlichman, CNN writes, is the first time the war on drugs has been plainly characterized as a political assault designed to help Nixon win and keep the White House. It's a stark departure from Nixon's public explanation as to why he had to, uh, start the war on drugs, which he framed as a response to the increase in heroin addiction and the rising use of marijuana and hallucinogens by students. Now, I'm glad CNN's coming around to this. I'm glad the Harper's piece is out. I'm glad people are starting to recognize that Nixon was all about the war on drugs as a tool of political control. But this information has been out there for decades. See, Richard Nixon infamously kept a tape recorder running at the White House. These are the so-called Nixon White House tapes, of which 18 minutes were mysteriously disappeared when they started investigating Watergate. But on those Nixon tapes, we have so much evidence of Nixon's rampant racism and anti-Semitism and anti-liberalism with respect to the war on drugs. This is Richard Nixon's quote from 1971. This isn't on the tapes. This was his public quote. This is what he was telling the people about the need to have a war on drugs. I am glad that in this administration, we have increased the amount of money for handling the problem of dangerous drugs sevenfold. It will be $600 million this year. More money will be needed in the future. I want to say, however, that despite our budget problems, to the extent money can help in meeting the problem of dangerous drugs, it will be available. This is one area where we cannot have budget cuts because we must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one in the United States, the problem of dangerous drugs. Public enemy number one, 
the problem of dangerous drugs. No, public enemy number one to Nixon were the anti-war left and blacks, hippies and blacks. And we have to go behind the scenes. We have to go to the Nixon tapes to actually see this in the in the in the uh, context that Nixon was speaking. Here's Nixon on the Nixon tapes, and it's it's difficult to understand some of this audio. It's a little trebly. But this is Richard Nixon calling for a goddamn strong statement against marijuana and asking his advisors, what the Christ is the matter with the Jews? The Jews are all for legalizing marijuana. Give it a listen. Yeah, what indeed. What the Christ is the matter with the Jews, Bob? Every one of those bastards out there for legalizing marijuana is Jewish. We got more from the Nixon tapes coming up after this break, but, you know, you listen to stuff like that, you need to take a 420 break, so... Happy 420, everyone. We'll be right back with more from Tricky Dick right after this. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Uh, I have a 
a package here for Radical Rick. Is there a Radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any any Rick Russ? Somebody named Freddie Brock has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? Sounds like a duck. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. Well, you said it. (laughs) That, of course, Tricky Dick Nixon, Richard Milhouse Nixon, President of the United States from 1968 to 1974, and the architect of what we call the modern war on drugs. Everybody is making hay out of the comment from uh, Ehrlichman that has appeared in the Harper's Magazine piece about the war on drugs being to go against the anti-war left and the blacks, associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin, and then you could criminalize them, you could infiltrate them, you could overturn their seats of power and so forth. And so we're kind of taking a look at the Nixon tapes here where the evidence for this has been has been in the public domain for decades now. So, yeah, it's great that Harper's has brought this out. and People are understanding that Nixon used the war on drugs as a political tool. But this is not a surprise for those of us who have been studying it for a while. Here's some comments from Richard Nixon about the Schaefer report. Now, if you don't know your history, uh, Raymond P. Schaefer was a Lutheran Republican governor of Pennsylvania and a former governor of Pennsylvania, a Republican right wing, you know, and Richard Nixon wanted a study and he commissioned this study and he put uh, Raymond Schaefer in charge of it to study marijuana. And as we heard in the last segment, what he wanted from that study was a quote, goddamn strong statement on marijuana. I mean, one that just tears the ass out of them, end quote. Nixon fully believed by putting this panel together, putting the Schaefer Commission together and putting this Republican in charge of it, they would investigate the evidence around marijuana, the societal impact about marijuana, and come out with some nice sciencey explanations as to why Nixon needed to criminalize marijuana. And of course, he couldn't care less about the science part of it. Nixon wanted to criminalize marijuana to go after the hippies. But you can't really say that in public, so it would have bolstered his case if he could get this commission to report on how terrible marijuana is. And then he'd have the scientific cover he needed for this racist, anti-Semitic, anti-liberal crusade of his. The only problem was, is that Raymond Schaefer had integrity. Raymond Schaefer's commission investigated Hundreds of years of evidence, the the British East India uh, report from the 1800s, even uh, the LaGuardia Commission report from the 1940s. They examined all the historical literature and research on marijuana and its effect on society. And they all came to the conclusion that criminalizing it was the worst thing you could do. The Schaefer Commission report came out in 1972 and said marijuana ought to be decriminalized. Well, this put Nixon into a rage because that was exactly the opposite of what he wanted to be able to demonize the hippies and the blacks. Here's Nixon's reaction when the Schaefer report came out from the Nixon tapes. Uh, you have a comment, sir, on the uh, recommendation of your commission on drugs that uh, the use of marijuana in the home be uh, no longer uh, considered a crime. 
Before the commission produced the report, he was against legalization and that he read the report and it didn't change his mind. So what was the whole point of the report there, Tricky Dick? <laughs> well, obviously, the point of the report was try to, to try to gin up some sort of backing for this racist crusade. I mean, you put together the best scientists, the best researchers. And you decide, well, nope, I'm some dude from California who uh, was a representative in the House, and so therefore I know more than all the scientists do. No, had nothing to do with that, folks. Just had to do with maintaining a racist crusade. And the the racist crusade begun by Richard Nixon and, and the mindset behind it still infects us to this day. To this day, there are legacies of Nixon's attitude that we find reflected in our modern politicians. How many times have you ever heard a politician out there when confronted with the fact that marijuana is safer than alcohol will reply with some line along the lines of, well, yeah, but when people drink, they're not trying to get high. They're just being social. But people who smoke dope, why, they just want to get high. It's a stupid argument, of course. Of course the people that are drinking to be social are doing it to get high. You want any proof of that? Take away the beer and the wine at the next cocktail mixer and replace them with O'Doul's and grape juice. See how well your party goes then. Of course, the people who are drinking are drinking to get high. The only difference is, is with drinking, we understand there's a spectrum of the high. We understand that the effect of alcohol starts at some little tipsy area, and then it moves into buzzed, and then it moves into drunk, and then it moves into hammered, and then it moves into passing out and puking. We know that there's a range. And so when people say they don't drink to get high, what they're saying is, I don't drink to get blackout drunk. I drink to get tipsy or buzzed. Well, folks, that's what marijuana is all about. Those of us that are smoking pot most of the time are not trying to power smoke as much as we possibly can until we pass out. We'll take a puff or two or three so that we can get buzzed, get a little tipsy, get a little social. It always kills me when they say, oh, well, drinkers drink to be social. Tokers drink, uh, smoke to get high. Well, what's more social than a joint circle? standing around with a bunch of strangers passing around a joint. How could you get more social than that? I don't often see a circle full of people with a stein of beer passing a stein of beer around to each other. You don't see that. But that whole attitude, drinkers drink to be social, tokers smoke to get high. That comes from Richard Nixon, ladies and gentlemen. Here's some more of the recordings from the Nixon White House tapes. Where Richard Nixon is speaking to Art Linkletter. Art Linkletter was a television host, a radio host, uh, very well beloved, 
for decades by the 1970s. He His biggest hit was something called Kids Say the Darndest Things. Here's Art Linkletter explaining it to Richard Nixon how people smoke to get high but drink to have fun. Well, you know, I suppose they could say that alcoholics don't have straight too, can they? Yes, and there's a very but another big difference in marijuana and alcohol is that when people smoke marijuana, they smoke it to get high. In every case, when most people drink, they drink to be social. You don't see people. That's right. They sit down with a marijuana cigarette to get high. A person, a person does not drink to get drunk. That's right. A person drinks to have fun. That's they smoke marijuana, you smoke marijuana. You, you want to get a charge. Right now, I'm sorry. You want to get a charge and flow and this and that and the other thing. You want to smoke to get a charge. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, how much understanding they had about cannabis back in the day. And it wasn't just Nixon's opposition to blacks and the anti-war left. Nixon was also anti-Semitic as hell and quite homophobic. Uh, This quote from Richard Nixon talks about – the context here is he's talking about Russia. Actually, I should say the Soviet Union back in the day and how they were tough on the gays. And tough on the drug takers. And they're a strong society because they don't put up with any of that crap. And in this in this uh, clip, Nixon is lamenting how the American left, how liberals, left-wingers, are pushing dope and homosexuality to destroy America. Let's look at the strong society, the Russians. Dope, homosexuality, and immorality are the enemies of strong societies. That's why the communists and the left-wingers are trying to push them. They're trying to destroy America. Wow. It's just, you know, when when people are uh, raising holy hell lately about Donald Trump and some of the things he says, you got to at least give him credit for one thing, and that he... It's that he's saying it out loud in public. He's not a Richard Nixon who's going to put forth a you know happy society face and tough on crime, law and order and try to justify his racism, his homophobia, his sexism, his anti-Semitism, his anti-liberalism. At least with Trump, you know what you're getting. <laughs> Nixon, we had to wait until we could get it off of the Nixon tapes. Here's one more clip from the Nixon tapes. Nixon talking about how now drugs are something we have to worry about because it's becoming a white problem. Monday, here in Washington, 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 
Over 75% of their arrests are white. It's becoming a white problem. It just, it's no clearer than that, folks, as to the real origins of this war on drugs. And, it, and not even just Richard Nixon. Of course, a lot of times when we look at this racism in the war on drugs, we'll, we'll go all the way back to Harry J. Anslinger saying that reefer makes the darkies think they're as good as white men. And reefer causes the white women to want to have sexual relations with Negroes and entertainers. That was our first drug war begun in 1937 on the foundation of racism, and it was continued in 1971 by Richard Nixon on a foundation of racism, and it continues to this day on a foundation of racism. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in two minutes, and we're going to talk a little bit about cannabis dependence, a pot pipeline from Mexico, and which illegal states are most curious about legal weed when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, Most people who use don't have a problem, so I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. Argusville. What are you smoking there, boy? 
This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. We've turned the corner on drug addiction in the United States. Drug addiction in the United States is under control. There you go. It's all over, folks. Don't worry about it. Nixon has turned the corner. We've got drug addiction under control. Nothing to see here. Move along. (laughs) What's this? Oh, wait a minute. We're getting something in on our flux capacitor, ladies and gentlemen. We're needing to go now live to the 1920s. Stupid prohibition story. As a public service, the Russ Belleville Show reminds you that smoking marijuana does not make one stupid. However, some stupid people do smoke marijuana, and prohibition is always waiting for another victim. Learn your lesson from today's Stupid Prohibition Stories. With your Stupid Prohibition Stories, I'm old-timey 1920s radio reporter Freddie Farrakh. This just in from Henrico, Virginia. A former Henrico teacher is in trouble with the law for allegedly letting students get stoned in class. Police say 23-year-old Dominic Bluzy was doing more than just teaching shop class. They claim he was enabling students to do a little higher learning. Henrico County Police Lieutenant Chris Ely says, quote, Dominic Luzzi was actually allowing students to smoke marijuana in his classroom, end quote. Up until recently, Luzzi was a shop teacher at the Academy of Virginia Randolph, a high school for academically and behaviorally challenged kids. There is a sign in the front of the school that reads it's supposed to be a drug-free zone. But according to investigators, Liuzzi let some students feel free to light up. Lieutenant Ely says, quote, We got a call from the administration of Henrico County Public Schools saying they received information from students that a teacher was allowing them to smoke marijuana in class, end quote. Now the 23-year-old teacher faces three charges of contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Court records show at least three teens allegedly smoked weed under Mr. Luzzi's watch. A spokesperson for Henrico County Public Schools says Luzzi is no longer employed by the school or the district. I'm Freddie Farrakh with your stupid prohibition story. Are you kidding me? Man, my shop class was never that cool. (laughs) I thought you were just supposed to make a bong in shop class, right? You weren't supposed to actually smoke it (laughs) in shop class. Oh, my God. Um, Okay. I don't don't even know how to respond to this one. Um, On the one hand, uh, cool? (laughs) Like, what what great class that was. No, folks, I'm just kidding, right? Teachers, let's just be on the record here. Teachers, don't let your kids smoke pot in class. Thank you. That's the, <laughs> this message brought to you by the Russ Belleville Show. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, smoking pot in the shop class. That's how oh, I've heard everything. All right. Let me get back to some of the other stories that we've got here in the pipeline. And uh, very interesting story uh, coming out of Leafly. Uh, you know, Leafly, it's the uh, website that tracks, you know, uh, uh, dispensaries and pot shops and has menus and so forth. Well, Leafly decided to do some number crunching on their search 
uh, uh, records. And they wanted to find out which illegal states are the most cannabis curious. In other words, when you take a look at the illegal states, what percentage of people from those states are looking at the legal dispensary pages on, you know, for Colorado or Washington or Oregon and so forth. So they took a look at 26 states where cannabis is either completely illegal or it's just a CBD only type of state. And they mapped the visits to Leafly over a six month period, geographically speaking, to find out like who is visiting Leafly most often to look up marijuana. And the results were pretty astounding. Blowing every other state out of the water with almost twice as many hits as the second place state is Texas. Texas had over 2.8 million hits on Leafly compared to the next closest state, which was uh, Florida, which was a bit over 1.4 million hits. So kudos to my activist friends in Texas, DFW Normal, Houston Normal, Centex Normal, Waco Normal, all you guys down there, Texas Normal in Austin. Good work because you got people thinking about it. You got them looking up marijuana information on Leafly. By far the state with the greatest curiosity about marijuana. Florida comes in number two at 1.4 million hits. Georgia comes in number three. At 800,000 hits. Pennsylvania comes in fourth at about 800,000. Virginia, little more than 600,000. And Ohio at about 600,000. And, and what I'd like to point out about all six of those states I just listed, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Ohio, all those states, very strong marijuana activism states. Texas has some of the best normal chapters in the country. Florida has been going for medical marijuana and also has some great normal chapters and SSDP chapters. Georgia, of course, has uh, Georgia Normal, Peachtree Normal. They've been doing some great work. Pennsylvania, Philly Normal, Pittsburgh Normal. Virginia, Virginia Normal, and Northern Virginia Normal. Ohio, numerous uh, chapters in Ohio. And as I look down at the bottom of the list here, of these 26 states that they, they covered. Cause remember the uh, 24 medical marijuana states aren't in this list and the legal states aren't the states with the least amount of cannabis curiosity, Wyoming, South Dakota, and North Dakota. And of those three states, I can guarantee you there's just almost nothing with respect to marijuana activism. I believe there's a Wyoming normal and I think they've been pushing for a legalization uh, bill. Now, the other thing that's uh, concerning about this is that this is a raw number of hits, right? So when we're talking about Texas and Florida, we're talking about two states with a, a huge population. These numbers haven't been broken down into hits per capita. And I'm going to take a look at these numbers. If I can get the actual raw data from Leafly, I'd like to, to crunch these numbers and find out what, where are you getting the most curiosity per capita, Kind of unfair to, ca to compare a Wyoming, the least populated state in the nation, with Texas and Florida, two of the most populated states in the nation. But still, the, the information is interesting. And it's uh, good to know that Texas has uh, so much interest in marijuana. All right, let me get to another story. Uh, this one <laughs> on the medical side. This is coming from news-medical.net. And uh, the headline 
Immediate treatment can benefit cannabis users who experience withdrawal symptoms. Well, first of all, we got to talk a little bit about cannabis withdrawal. It's always kind of a sticky topic to talk about because with other drugs, there's a very clear withdrawal. In fact, it's a withdrawal that can kill you. If you're addicted to opiates or you're addicted to alcohol or even addicted to amphetamines, quitting those things cold turkey can kill you. That's a pretty heavy-duty withdrawal symptom, don't you think? And if they don't kill you, they're going to cause other physical withdrawal symptoms that are undeniable. Alcoholics will go into the delirium tremens. They'll get these these trembling, these tremors that they have. They'll experience hallucinations. They'll experience pain. Heroin addicts will experience extreme nausea, pain. Amphetamine addicts will experience severe cravings. I mean, these withdrawals cannot be denied. But when it comes to cannabis, the people in the medical fields have decided there is such a thing as a cannabis withdrawal syndrome. And what a cannabis withdrawal syndrome basically amounts to is you run out of weed and you're bummed that you ran out of weed. (laughs) Now, there's a little more to that. Uh, They will say that cannabis withdrawal symptom is characterized by craving for weed, irritability, insomnia, uh, Sometimes uh, anger issues, hardly delirium tremens and death, but there can be this withdrawal syndrome. Now, my cure for cannabis withdrawal syndrome is to smoke some cannabis. (laughs) When I'm having withdrawal syndrome, I just get more. But when we talk about these treatments, these, uh, these medical professionals are talking about people who are experiencing cannabis dependence. And this is another controversial issue. The DSM-5, the the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Psychologists and Psychiatrists, defines substance abuse disorders as those people that use a substance and then that they keep using that substance despite negative impacts to their life. They have trouble trying to quit, have tried to quit, and haven't been able to quit. They spend an inordinate amount of time trying to get their substance and they sometimes experience workplace and legal difficulties because of their substance use. And where the controversy comes in here, and it's the same controversy I point out time and time again in many different aspects of cannabis research, and that is when cannabis is illegal, it's hard to tease out what's the effect of the drug versus what's the effect of the prohibition. You're going to say that I have a cannabis dependence syndrome because I spend an inordinate amount of time trying to find cannabis. Have you ever tried to come up with a bag of good weed in Kansas? It might take an inordinate amount of time, but that has nothing to do with whether you're dependent on it or not. It has to do with the prohibition that makes the supply of cannabis scarce in Kansas. So how can we have a criterion for determining dependence that in and of itself is dependent on whether or not the drug is prohibited. I'm, what I'm trying to say here is you're much more likely to find someone in Kansas or Oklahoma who spends a whole lot of time trying to get weed than someone in Oregon who can walk a few blocks down the street and buy it at a, a pot shop. So of what, what good is this criterion when legalization is going to pretty much wipe it out in a legal state? 
And then they talk about legal or or uh, uh, employment problems with your cannabis use. You keep using cannabis despite legal and employment problems. Well, the legal and employment problems are in large part due to the fact it's illegal. If I fail my pee test, I lose my job. If I if I uh, uh, am caught with marijuana and arrested and that becomes public knowledge, I get kicked out of school or I get busted and go to jail. But that doesn't signify that cannabis was causing my problem. That signifies that prohibition caused my problem. How many people out there would get a diagnosis of coffee dependence if there were workplace tests for caffeine and getting caught with caffeine in your system would get you fired and getting caught buying caffeine would get you thrown in jail or ticketed? Do you think we'd see more people with a cannabis dependence syndrome? But this story, let me get back to the story, talks about how researchers at the University of Illinois found that 85% of people who met the criteria for cannabis withdrawal used cannabis again within about 16 days, while other individuals stayed abstinent about 24 days before using again. So people that have this cannabis withdrawal, about 16, about 85% of them used again in 16 days, the other 15, 15% used 24 days later. They were 110 young adults in the study. They were near daily users of cannabis who consumed about 70 out of 90 days prior to enter treatment, nearly daily. They experienced withdrawal symptoms, reporting an average of two, two symptoms, folks, on average, two symptoms. So for an average to be two, you know that a whole lot of people had to have only one symptom, right? But an average of two symptoms, the symptoms reported were mood disturbances. About half the people, 48%, found they were a little irritable, little edgy, a little sullen when they didn't have their pot. 40% of them reported difficulty sleeping. And 33% reported restlessness. Ooh, restlessness. Now, first of all, are those the kind of symptoms that are going to cause us to be alarmed here? One of the first things I think about here, especially when they bring up the part about difficulty sleeping, is that how many of these people that you're considering to be cannabis dependent are actually using cannabis for the medicinal benefit of curing insomnia? Strange thing happened, Bob. We took all these insomniacs that were using pot, and when we made them stop using pot, why, they had trouble sleeping. Yeah, must be a cannabis withdrawal syndrome. <laughs> no, it's underlying insomnia. And you just stop the treatment for it. That's the problem. Mood disturbances. Got a little irritable when they didn't have the pot. Well, again, how many people there are using marijuana to treat anxiety, to treat anger issues, to treat stress? And then you take their medicine from them. What do you know? Oh, my God, they're stressed out. They're angry. God. That's like saying... When someone has low blood sugar and passes out because you took away their insulin, that they have an insulin dependence problem. They're having insulin withdrawals. No, they've got freaking diabetes, man. Ah, these things piss me off. Gotta take a break. We'll be right back. Close up shop right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. 
You know, during Dance with the Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah. And not only that, I was doing these old mountain smells. And it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, the, all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew, you know, they were all young kids. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts, you know, that you don't know you're doing it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you smell, and everybody go, what the hell smells? And, you know, and you knew it was me. And, and so I'd scurry off to the bathroom, you know. And that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. City near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit cannabisfinancebootcamp.com. Well, folks, that's all the time we got for today's show. Thanks for joining us, and make sure you're with us tomorrow. We got another great episode of the Russ Belville Show coming to you live on CannabisRadio.com. Our guest will be Alec Rockford from Doobie, a new online social media for us cannabis consumers. And then make sure you join us next week. I'll be bringing you a series of shows live from Las Vegas, Nevada. We got Dr. Mitch on Monday. We got Adam Eidinger from Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. And Doug Fine with our Hemp Day Hump Day update on Wednesday. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. You can catch me, Radical Russ, everywhere on anything that has a username. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, you smoke it, you roll it.
just come in. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, just come in. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey.